0: Well, for the past 11, 11 weeks, uh, we've been traveling um, along with the patriarch Abraham in Genesis, Genesis chapter 11 through 19, noting God's calling he and his family from the Ur, land of the Ur the Chaldees, his pagan homeland, to a special unknown land that God would show him. We've learned how Abram obeys God beginning this new life of faith as the traveling worshiper, as I believe Pastor Men may have mentioned several weeks back, um, in this foreign land, which would become known to him as the land of promise. Well, this morning, we are landing in the fourth chapter of Romans. However, we haven't left Abraham behind in Genesis. Um, In case you're wondering why we're opening up to this text, let me briefly tell you, what the writer of this book, the Apostle Paul, is teaching through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And I can only give us a brief understanding, but I think it'll help us as we, we jump into chapter 4, just where we are and what we're dealing with. But first, in chapter 1, verse 16, as Pastor Men mentioned in his children's sermon, the Apostle Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, a righteousness is revealed, a righteousness that is from faith and for faith. But just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Now, in this section, and I asked Brother John to read from chapter 3, verse 21, up through and entirely through uh, chapter 4, and that was an exercise for him, but um, in chapter 3, beginning of verse 21, to the end of that chapter, the Apostle Paul begins this um, this important defense of the doctrine of the justification by faith. Okay, How we, as sinners before a holy God, can stand before God justified, declared righteous. Remember, going back to Um, chapter, verse 1, chapter 18, all the way to chapter 3, verse 20, the apostle Paul has labored hard to prove that all are guilty, that all um, are accountable to God, that there is no one righteous knowing that one. In verse 23, that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that's our condition before a holy God. But in chapter Three, verse 21, the apostle Paul begins to expound and present this way of salvation, this righteousness by faith that comes to us through faith in Jesus Christ. And so this section that begins in verse 21, it it carries all the way into chapter 4. And here we are jumping right into chapter 4. And so we kind of need to understand where Paul is coming from. So for us to be able to track with him um, and where he's going with it, you might think as we get there that that after all that he has hammered away at in chapter three that it's a done deal. You know he's made it pretty clear. Well, Paul Paul has his own systematic way of thinking. We're going to take this a little bit further. Okay, we're going to we're going to hammer this. We're going to um, play this out a little bit more so that our hearers can can understand it. The other thing, too, about this passage is from chapter 2, verse 17, all the way through the end of chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is primarily addressing Jewish believers and perhaps Jewish yet-to-be believers there in the church at Rome. It was a church that he longed to get to. He had never been there. Um, He had prayed, desired, and he was praying that someday soon he would be able to get there and to... um, Mutually edify the, the believers there. So with that said, let's jump into chapter 4, shall we? Chapter 4, verse 1. And you might think of this as Paul's outline. If not If not in his head, or if not maybe written out on paper in his head as to where he is going with what he's presenting here in chapter 4. And and some of where we begin in chapter 4 is kind of like a carryover of some of the latter verses in chapter 3, and we'll be going back to those. But in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 4, he says this, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? So he begins with a question. Verse 2, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Now, think about Abraham. If there was anyone in the mind of the Jew, first century, prior to first century, or even up to today, it was Abraham, okay, the the, the father of the nation, okay, Um, Abraham was their hero, Abraham in a sense could do nothing wrong. Of course we know that Abraham was an ordinary man and he did, but that Abraham was this this hero of the Jewish faith. And so Paul purposefully introduces this the first time Abraham is mentioned in the first part of Romans. Okay? And he's saying, "What shall we then what shall then was gained by Abraham?" Okay? And, and that saying, what then shall we say, that's that's Paul's um, way, you might say, of drawing attention to where he's going with his argument. He uses this extensively throughout um, the book of Romans. Romans. Um, chapter 6, verse 1, chapter 7, verse 7, chapter 8, verse 31, chapter 9, verse 14, chapter 9, verse 30. Paul uses this saying, and what then shall we say? And, and in some ways, he's saying that with the understanding that there might just be a little resistance here, okay? He's addressing the Jews, and what he's going to be addressing them now are some issues that are really near and dear to them, who are practitioners or coming out of Judaism. And so in in verse 2, he's basically getting them to think if there's anyone in the Jewish faith who could say that they could be justified by their works, by their character, by their integrity, surely it would be who? It would be Abraham, right? It would be Abraham. Then Paul goes on to say in verse 2, but if Abraham was justified by works, he did indeed have something to boast about, but not before God. Not before God. So even Abraham could not boast about his efforts to justify himself before God through his good works. And why was that? When we come to chapter, um, verse 3. Paul asks this question. For what does the scripture say? What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. He takes these Jewish believers and yet to be believers, those who in, were in his audience at Rome. And he says, what does the scripture say? And again, Paul, he's using this very systematic logic, as well as a knowledge of Jewish history, plus with the insight and understanding of the Holy Scriptures. And he says, let's look at this. Let's be clear on what the scriptures say here. All right. And so he takes them back to Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. So let's go take a look there with me. Hold your place in Romans 3. Let's go back to Genesis 15, verse 6. And this is, this is a passage that we've explored, a verse that we have come across. It's been a few weeks. But in chapter 15, um, and I'm going to back up a little bit and, and give us some more of, of the context. Um, verse, 15, verse, verse 15, chapter 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. For Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said in verse 3, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to Abram. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and he said, Look toward the heavens and number the stars. Basically, Abraham, look up and start counting. If you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And in verse 6, this is the key verse, and he believed, he being Abraham, he believed, and the Lord, he counted him as righteousness. And the Lord, he counted him as righteousness. So let's let's try to understand that phrase a little bit, because it only occurs 11 times in this chapter, okay? So I think it would be important if we have a pretty good understanding of, of what this, this says, and... And I tried to approach this in two different ways. First, what does it say in a very practical sense? Okay, among the people. Well, back in in ancient Bible times, in in business dealings, um, it would mean to put something down on another's account. Okay? Um, Those who were engaged in in business matters, um, keeping books, um, maintaining records, um, it would be. A situation where perhaps somebody has nothing in their account. Nothing. And yet someone, some gracious individual, they they deposit something in their account. Could be a relative, could be a friend. But someone has placed money in your empty account. Maybe some of you realize that you have an empty account. But somebody has been gracious and has placed this sum and has credited it to your account. You haven't earned it. You don't deserve it. But it's been placed there by someone else on your behalf. Now, in the spiritual dimension, I, I identify it as this. God, by his sheer act of divine grace, his unmerited favor, deposits or credits into our account his complete gift of righteousness into the believer's sinless, spiritually bankrupt account. We have no righteousness of our own, has been been shared thus far. There's no righteousness, there's nothing good in us, for there's none righteous, no not one. Right? We've all fall, we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And God is willing to impart his righteousness into our account securing us from eternal ruin and the promise of new life. And so God does this on our behalf. And that's what we're going to see throughout this, this chapter, as Paul addresses the primarily addresses the Jews in the the audience of the church at Rome. Let me make this point of application before I go any further. Paul said to those Jews, what do the scriptures say? Now, it doesn't say scriptures, it says scripture. So he's specifically saying, let's go back to this scripture in our history that you're familiar with about what God says. And I think that's a good lesson for us that that if we are going to find any truth, Okay, that we can bank our lives on, okay? That we can we can know comes from God and that is um, inerrant and infallible. It is in this book, the Word of God. And so we need to go and, and, and be students of the Word. And I can say with all honesty that since coming here to Windsor, I have appreciated being under the teaching and the preaching of men who are serious students of the word of God. I have been challenged in my own life to dig deeper, to question some things that I've been taught and have believed all my life. Not to say radical things, but to say, okay, I believe this, but why do I believe it? Where's the basis of my belief? Where do I go to undergird what it is that, that I say I believe. And so I think a lesson for us all here is that we need to go back to the scriptures. You remember the people of Berea after Paul was kind of um, ushered out of Philippi and then Thessalonica and he goes to Berea? And it says they were more of the noble sort. For when the gospel came to them, they what? They searched the scriptures, okay? They they dug they, they matched up what they heard with what God says in his word. And I think that's a good a good principle, a good practice for us as well. Let's move on to verses 4 and 5. Um, now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And this is simply kind of a contrast. It would be like the men who work long and hard on our, on our new building out here, Okay. They were under a contract. They had an agreement that they would work so many hours a week for such and such amount of money and that they would be paid that money and that that would be theirs. It wasn't credited to them, okay? It was what they earned, much like you in your job, okay? You are paid for the services that you render. And that's what Paul is saying here. This is not what I'm talking about, okay? This is something that Paul says is kind of the opposite. It's something to compare it to, to bring it alongside. And then he says in verse five, and to the one who does not work, but who believes in him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So to the one who, as Abraham cannot do, justify themselves by their works, but who believes in him, who believes in him, who justifies the ungodly. And that puts Abraham in the, the, the grouping of the ungodly. He may not have been thought as so, but he was, just like all of us, in that grouping of ungodly, separated from God. It says that through faith, we, they, he is counted, is credited as righteous. And that's a blessing. That's a tremendous thing for us to know and to be assured of. And then he cites David. First he cites Abraham, but but who else in the minds of the Jewish people would be so revered as King David, the sweet psalmist, the strong military leader? And so Paul cites David. And he says, and he cites David's words from Psalm 32, Verses 1 and 2, and and it says in in verse 7 and 8, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. There again, blessed is the man whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man who the Lord will not hold his sin against him. He will not count his sin. Now, that's kind of the the flip side of God crediting his righteousness to us. God God, um, has imputed our sins upon Christ. Our sins have been placed upon Jesus Christ and who we know would go to the cross. And through our belief in Christ, our trust in him, he imputes Christ's righteousness to us. So it's a kind of a double imputation. I failed... To mention to you my first point, which is this, now that we end of verse 8, it's that um, through the testimony, excuse me, the righteousness of God credited by faith, the righteousness of God credited by faith, okay, refutes justification by works. And that's what we're talking about here in these first eight verses, is trying to be justified by works, which many of the Jews tried to do, okay, you can't do it. Okay, It's by faith. And Paul clearly makes that um, known here in the first part of this chapter. Let's move on to verses 9 through 17a. And where Paul was kind of countering the, object, the, um, the objection of, you know, what about my works? What good... Can't they do me any good? And here he he addresses two things, the right of circumcision, the right of circumcision, and then that of keeping the Mosaic law. Two things that also the Jews um, took pride in. It was a very significant part of their their, um, worship and their their daily lives. So in verse nine, I'm gonna read verses nine through 12, is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. Verse 10, how then was it counted to him? He's asking these questions. Was it before or after he'd been circumcised? It was not after but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. Verse 12, and to make him the father of the circumcised who were not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Let's try to make some sense out of that, okay? And, and the second point is this, that the righteousness of God credited by faith determines the true children of Abraham. The righteousness that is credited by faith determines the true children of Abraham. Of Abraham. And so we see in these first four verses, Paul's reasoning. He's asking questions. He's kind of getting his hearers to think along with him about where he's going. And he says, Is this blessing referring to the blessing of the righteousness of Christ? Okay? Those declared righteous through their faith, okay? Is this blessing only for the circumcised or for the uncircumcised? Is it just for the Jew or is it also for the Greek? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. Okay, if you if you hold your place there and you go back to chapter 3, verse 28, again, Paul, in that early part of his um, reputation or of his... Um, defense of the justification by faith in verse 28 he says for we hold or we maintain that the one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law okay there's there's the inability of you and i for the jew even to keep the works of the law perfectly and being maintained or being declared righteous So in chapter 4, verse 11, he says, it it wasn't after, but before he was circumcised. We're going to need to go to Genesis chapter 17, okay? Hold your place there in chapter 4. What Paul is saying here is that when that promise came to Abram, when he said, look up at the stars and start counting, And that your offspring will number the stars in the sky. And then it said, and Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. Okay, Paul is asking, when did that promise take place? Was it before Abraham was circumcised or was it after Abraham was circumcised? Jews, know your history, okay? Think clearly with me on this. Let's go to the scriptures, which you know, and let's see what they said. So when we go to chapter 17, this is the account of Abraham and the covenant that God makes with him. Okay, I'm going to read verses 1 through 7 quickly. When Abraham was 99 years old, and the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abraham fell on his face and God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful And I will make you into nations and kings shall come and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your offspring after you. And then let's go down to verse 10. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring forever. And this is where God gives him the instruction of circumcision, Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised, and then every male throughout all of your generations. And that was a sign, a seal of the covenant. It wasn't something that justified them before God, but it was a seal of the covenant that God had made with his chosen people. And Paul is saying In chapter 4, verse 12, excuse me, verse 11, he received the sign of the circumcision as a seal of righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. This promise came to Abraham 14 years before. He was circumcised. This covenant was established between he and God. And so Paul is, is basically reasoning with the Jews that this promise came through faith and faith alone. There was no um, outward sign. There was no ritual, okay, that the Jews sometimes held on to that justified them before God. It was solely, purely through Faith that credited righteousness to their account. Verse 12, and to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. What he's driving at here is saying that um, those who were not circumcised, the Gentiles, okay, who came to faith, Abraham would be the father of those. But for the Jews who were circumcised, but who came to faith as well, he would be the father of them. So circumcision wasn't a condition. It was a seal. It was something that was significant to the Jews and their ancestry. But what it's showing here is that Abraham would be the father of Of those who came to faith, both Jews and Gentiles, before he himself was circumcised. We'll move along to the promise realized through faith, verses 13 through 17a. For the promise of Abraham and his offspring that would be heir of the world, did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. There again, we we, we see that that point being made clearly by Paul that right standing with God comes through faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promises may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So the promise to Abraham and his offspring that would be heir of the world did not come through the law but through the righteousness of faith. Okay. If you look back at 3 chapter chapter 3 verses 19 and 20, Paul had already said this, for we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Paul goes on, for if it is the adherence of the law, who would the adherence of the law it was the Jews. If they were the ones to whom the promise came, then faith, the promise of faith, which came later, would be null and void. Now think about that, would be for a minute. If, if that promise is null and void, then is God wrong about what he said? Is God going to go back on his word? Yahweh, one of the meanings of Yahweh is he is the unchanging one. He has made a promise and he is not going to go back on it. He said, for the promise comes through faith. Verse 15, for the law brings wrath, which we just looked at. But where there is no law, there is no transgression. If there is no law, and the Mosaic law did not come until about 430 years or later after Abraham, okay? And the Lord tells us what's what's right and what's wrong. And if we cross the line and we know what's wrong, then we violated the law. But that law wasn't in existence. So was Abraham under the law? He was not under the law. And so there again, um, The promise comes through faith because that promise came to Abraham. Verse 17, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations, quoting Genesis 17, verse five, in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead. And then we're going to go into the next section. But the point there again is the righteousness of God credited by, by faith determines the true children of God. The true children of God were not the children of the circumcision. They were not the children of the law. They were the children who by faith claimed the promise that Abraham claimed through whom the Messiah would come. Those are the true descendants of the true children of Abraham, who is greater than the sign of circumcision and greater than that of keeping the law. For our next section, well, let me me say this. What are some things that we tend to rely on that we might consider justify us before God? Um, Might we say, church membership. Now, we know here in church that church membership comes after one's profession of faith and their testimony, but there are some who would say, well, I belong to such and such a church. I can remember my parents, when my younger brother and I were really little, they would wake us up every Sunday morning and send us off to Sunday school and church, but they never went. Well, we're members of, of the church back in the city where we used to live, where I taught Sunday school, and they were expecting us to go and to um, make our confirmation. Their expectation was, you know, to go up to sixth grade, recite the Ten Commandments, some of the creeds, and you're good. You're okay with God. Well, we know that that's not true, but there are some people who, who believe along those lines. Baptism. And there are many others that you can think about that people rely on to justify themselves before God But God says, no, we are credited righteous before God by our faith, our faith in Jesus Christ alone. Verse 16, and this point is, the righteousness of God is credited by, I should say, the righteousness of God that is credited demonstrates the true nature of belief. We're going to look more closely at the life of Abraham. Um, The the, the searchlight's going to shine on Abraham a little bit more closely um, by the Apostle Paul, and we're going to see what the scriptures say about Abraham and his walk with faith. So in verse 16, that is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace. I'll read verse 16, but I'm going through, going into verse 17. But also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of his all, as it is written... I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Abraham believed. We know that Abraham's faith was a journey, okay? It wasn't like he he just became this mighty man of faith. We've seen that as we've traveled through Genesis. But it was a process of coming to faith. But here Paul is citing Abraham as the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and called into existence the promise of the word. The promise of those things that do not exist. Remember when he went to sacrifice Isaac? Isaac, who was the heir, through whom the promise would come that he would have many descendants, and yet he was called to sacrifice Isaac on the Mount of Moriah. And he took Isaac when God told him. He didn't ask any questions. He went up that mountain and he was going to go ahead with what God asked him to do and to slay his son, yet knowing that it was through Isaac that the promise would come. And yet we know how God um, intervened but even then, it says in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, and many of what we're seeing that Paul is citing here in Romans are also cited in, in the uh, Hearers of Faith chapter in Hebrews chapter 11. He, verse 19, he considered Abraham... Talking about, he considered that God was even able to raise him from the dead, which, figuratively speaking, he did not receive him back. So Abraham believed that God could raise the dead. And of course, looking forward, okay, we would see that that promise would be ultimately fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ, who, after going to the cross, bearing the penalty for our sin, was raised from the dead, demonstrating his power over sin and over death and over the powers of darkness. Okay, we're looking at several um, characteristics of Abraham's faith. That was verse 17, verse 18. Of whom it was said through Isaac. Let's go back to Romans. Verse 18, in hope, he believed against hope and he should become the father of many nations as it had been told him, so shall your offspring be. Abraham, despite the impossibility of the human circumstances that he was facing, that he, as, nine, as a 99-year-old man, and Sarah, as a 90-year-old woman, would conceive and bear a son as God promised, and had to wait 26 years, a significant amount of time for that promise to come to pass. In hope, he believed against hope that he would become the father of many nations. And similarly, in verse 19, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. So, He looked to the future with hope and patience. He overcame human circumstantial impossibilities through his faith in God. Verse 20, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith and gave glory to God. He did not waver through unbelief. He wasn't double-minded. He remained true to the promise that God had made, made to him. And notice what it did, what it says. It gave glory to God. I think that's a sort wonderful of thing that maybe we don't think about. That our faith, when we step out in faith, that faith gives glory to God. And Abraham did that with the demonstration of his faith that it says it gives glory to God. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. So he did not waver through unbelief. And number seven, he gave glory to God, the manifestation of his excellent power. Look at verse 21 and 22, and we'll close this section fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised, that is why this faith was counted to him as righteousness. We can see that this demonstration of Abraham's faith was why when God made that promise to him, Abraham looked to the stars, so shall your offspring be. Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. And we see this this demonstration of, of faith as it's being Played out in Abraham's life. And you may be saying this morning, well, that's not my faith. In other words, that's not where my faith was at. Um, I realize we're all in different places in our faith journey. And some that may be starting out fairly new, fairly young in the faith, okay, they're, they're developing their faith. I, I like to think of faith as a muscle. I mean, God gives us our bodies, and He gives us our muscles, but if we don't exercise it, it doesn't grow stronger. And so God wants us to step out in faith to exercise those spiritual muscles. And we see Abraham doing that here and it's giving glory to God. And that is why it's said here that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. So we come to our our last section The righteousness of God, which is credited to faith, is for all, for all who trust in Christ. Verses 23, 24, and 25. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake, but for our sake alone. Let me read that again. But the words it was written for his sake were not written for him it was counted to him were not written for his sake but for for ours alone. So going back to that promise in Genesis 15, verse verse 6, those words that were written to Abraham were not written just for Abraham. But we are the descendants of Abraham, the spiritual children of Abraham. And those words are written to us as well. It will be counted to you, verse 24, who believe in him in God who raised Jesus from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. The gospel has come to us. And I'd like for us to think about those words, and Abraham believed, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And then take your name, Take your name and insert it where Abraham's name is. And Bob believed, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Have I taken, have I expressed my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who took my sin upon himself and who bore it on the cross of Calvary, which no one else could do. And he satisfied the just demands of a holy God for the sacrifice, for the payment of sin, and who Christ taking my sin and yet imparting to me the righteousness of his son. So put your name in the place of Abraham. And if you can and you you know that you have that assurance, that is a wonderful thing. That is a, a gift from God. Say this verse with me, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Isn't that what we've been hearing throughout chapter 3, verse 21, all the way up to chapter 4, verse 25? So, and if you haven't, if you if you feel like you cannot put your name in that place yet, today today is the day of salvation. Today would be a good day. Anyone can do it. If you have been brought to the place where you, you see your sin as um, going against a holy God that only he can deal with for you, um, God desires that none should perish, that all come to repentance, and that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, as it says here in verse 24 and 25, Okay, he was de- delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification.